welcome to Professional Idiots, a podcast combining our need for work and our want for entertainment. I'm Chris Flynn, joined by my co-host Aaron Simon, and joined in spirit by our producer Brad Whitaker. For those who don't know, Brad just moved to Japan, and he's so jet-lagged he doesn't know what a Sunday is anymore. So this week, uh, this week we'll, be, we'll be doing this by ourselves. All by ourselves! And this has been Professional Idiots. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I think, really, that's the high point of the series. There's no point in going on anymore. I mean, literally speaking, it might be the highest. <laughs> you like you like that, Aaron? Yeah, that was pretty good. Well, I guess uh, digging into the professional topic this week, there was some required reading for Aaron and I, and uh, we're going to be talking about a Business Insider article that we're going to link to in the description. Aaron, you want to give us a quick overview of, uh, of what the article was? Yeah, sure. So um, in February, a Yelp employee posted a, uh, an open letter or a blog or whatever constitutes communication in this day and age about her compensation, which she said came to about $8 an hour after taxes. A few hours later, she said she was fired. Um, basically, her uh, remarks wrapped up to that she was living in San Francisco and was not getting a what she felt was a fair wage for, I think she was working in a call center for Yelp, is that about right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, wrote this post about it and talked about her experience in, well, corporate Silicon Valley, and, uh, went into a bit of detail about her life, but not too much, and then, uh, some other... Generation Y, Millennial, whatever we are calling ourselves these these days, uh, named Stephanie Williams, wrote a response that I view as basically her saying to Talia, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I did it. You can do it, too. Yeah. So, I feel kind of two ways about it. Uh, first of all, I do kind of agree with Stephanie of that you do need to be a little bit more realistic about what jobs are open and where you're living because no one's forcing you to take that job. No one's forcing you to live in the trendy part of San Francisco. Um, and yeah, like if, if you know that rent is going to be $2,000 a month and you barely take home $500 a week, like that, that's pretty simple algebra that you can't afford what you're doing. Well, yeah. However, if you're living in San Francisco, you're looking at ridiculous rents no matter where you live. Unless you're in Oakland, but even then, Oakland is starting to get more expensive. Yeah. So, you, yeah, no one is forcing you to live in San Francisco, but the thing that sets me off, well, one of the many things that sets me off about uh, Miss Williams' response is this bizarre. It's like a it's like a nightmare universe version of the American dream, where you know you you should be able to pick up and move to another city where there's more resp- more opportunity and make a name for yourself, make a living for yourself if you do you know an honest wage. But then this nightmare version of it comes in, where it's like, well, no. What are you doing trying to think that you can work hard and make a, 
honest living. You have to have the right kind of job, and if not, you need to work three jobs. Yeah. And I don't... I hear that a lot, mainly from people who have a pretty cushy life Mm -hmm. and have not really had to worry about making rent because they've got a good social, like a good safety net. And I'm not trying to say that I came from abject poverty or anything like that because like I've got a, I've got a family safety net and if it came down to it, I could ask, you know, my, my dad or my mom, you know, if I needed to move back in, back in with them, they would help me. But by the same token, I moved out to Portland because I thought, you know, oh, it's it's a it's a you know booming city. I've got some skills. I can make I can make rent, no problem. I can get a good job. And I spent two months sending out resumes and cover letters for eight hours a day, six mm-hmm. days a week, and just na- like after. I think I moved in in mid-September and finally got a job offer around Thanksgiving, which was just enough to afford an all-right one-bedroom apartment that the next year I was, yeah, the next time the lease came around to renew had, like, the, the rent jacked up by about $100. Well, and I, the, the, what I'm trying to get at here is, yeah, no one is forcing you to move to places. No one is forcing you to live in neighborhoods, but neighborhoods change very fast in large cities. And a lot of the large cities that have the most opportunity are also some of the more expensive places to live. Yeah, and unless well, you want to live in a house with six other people, which I know people who do, and I just, you know, th- that's not an option for some people. I would snap. I would lose my fucking mind. Really, you? Never. I, <laughs> um, but never would expect that from you, Aaron. Never. So you know, in in saying all of this, like I might be losing the focus of what the the. Business Insider Medium article was about because it went into this. I, I'm not a big fan of either article, to be honest, because I, I just don't like the the first one, just writing wise, and the second one came off as just snide and cruel. Yeah. Um. But you know, my point being here is on on that level of those two articles, I don't know what. The the Yelp the former Yelp employee does with her money. I don't care. I don't want to know what Stephanie does with her money. I don't want to care. But I think what makes this article shareworthy and why we're talking about it is the fact that people know, like, if you pay any sort of attention to the way jobs are going and the way wages are heading, is the middle class is evaporating in this country and a lot of what should be considered middle-class jobs like and frankly at this point i would say call center is one of those because what else are those people going to do well i think the the change is that our generation and younger have it so much different financially with student loans that if you and i and you know my fiance if we didn't have the loans that we did 
that we would be in very different financial situations, especially walking out of college as well. Yeah. If you didn't have them and you were immediately able to start saving any time that you spent living, you know, cause I know you lived with your mom for a while that any time as opposed to spending that money on rent or not on, or on uh, your loans, you could have been saving for a rent or you could have been saving for a condo or whatever it is that you were going to do. And so as opposed to being, you know, what, five years post-graduation and six. still six, six uh, grad school, seven undergrad. But yeah, as opposed to still paying those off, you could be six or seven years into saving. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm not saying you're wrong, but I think there's also the other level about all of this, which is just, you know, even taking us putting aside student loans or escalating cost of rent, the one of the main things that people don't talk about, and which is one of the reasons I like Sanders a lot, is wage. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, it's so for I did a little bit of reading on this because, you know, sources, yay. So in December 2015, Pew Research released a report that uh, defined middle income, so the middle class, as around $42,000 a year, which is somewhere around $20 an hour. Yeah. And after six years out of grad school, and granted, I did go for grad school with for a creative writing master's, but I had internship experience along with that and then work experience prior to that. I'm six years out of grad school, and I barely make that amount of money, mm-hmm. which is – it. I mean, when I remember like doing that required uh, – self-education thing for my student loans where they said something like uh, a comfortable salary at your amount of like monthly payment for your loan or however they phrase it would be $52,000 a year. Yeah. And if I'm lucky, I'll make that in like maybe five years if I keep at this company. But you're seeing just a massive disheartening wage stagnation. And, yeah, there are a lot of reasons for that, and you can't make a blanket statement that all employers are, you know, greedy or whatever else, because, you know, there are a lot of small to medium-sized businesses that are would be struggling to pay people what is a living wage in this country. But when you have, let's take the obvious example of Walmart, which mm-hmm. is, uh, I, I think... I think Pew Research released another article uh, or another report fairly recently that actually proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Walmart makes more money than God. Uh, I think they have yeah. several printing presses that they just run on a 24-7 basis, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And, I, you know, I, I don't really see how you can have any sort of sympathy for the Walton family when, or the corporate executives on the board of Walmart or however it's structured when you're seeing this bizarre cannibalistic cycle of employees at Walmart being on food stamps and then yeah. paying for their groceries at their own place of business with those food stamps. Well, it's all they can afford. Well, I, I, I know. That's my point. 
is yeah. you don't see. Even if, even if, like we took student loans out of the equation. I mean, in Portland, I make I make a lot more money than a lot of the people I know. Yeah. Because you have this bizarre divide, and I think it's just going to grow across the country. The more that you see STEM fields become the default, uh, this divide of engineers and everyone else. And that w- that's a big problem in San Francisco. It's a big problem in Seattle. It's a, starting to become a huge problem in Portland. And it's just going to grow. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I had noted down here is that I, I, li- I like the the idea of talking about Walmart there and you know seeing what their employees get paid. Uh, kind of the same on the flip side of Yelp of you know a company like Yelp or Google that sees you can see that company and you can see the profits that they make and that they need to be more aware of what they are making uh, and what they should be paying people to do because if you do pay them just a shiny little wooden nickel that People can't. You can't expect that person to just take it and like it when they see profits in the billions of dollars or the CEOs making millions of dollars. Sure, the CEO is doing higher level work and is you know does deserve a higher wage. But at the same point, you can't. Again, the food stamps. You just can't expect people to work for that low of a level. No, no, you can't. And hold on, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna try to get like the latest number about. the ratio of CEO pay to like average worker pay because I always like looking at that and just becoming sad. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh let's go to this so, one. It's an NPR article. This is going to be a fun thing for Brad to edit out. Assuming. All right. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, let's go with uh, Chipotle. Here we go. C- 24, 2014, CEO was Steve Ellis, paid $28 million. Median worker paid 19000 Yeah. Ratio of 1522 Yeah. And then let's, yeah, because you can make the case easily that, you know, well... An average food worker is not doing that high of work, and while the minimum wage should be uh, higher, that may, well, that that might not be fair to say. Well, you know that they're only making that because, but, but look at CVS Corporation, which you would assume across the board you see a lot more uh, high level work, but even then you're still seeing a ratio of. Uh, like a, a difference of fifty-seven million to sixty-six thousand, the ratio of worker pay or CEO pay to workers one to eight sixty-two. Well, that's that's tough because you've got on the flip side you do have the pharmacists who are pulling a higher wage, but then they've got the the front of workers, front of house workers, for lack of a better term, that I'm sure they don't pay nearly as well. So that sixty-six is highly inflated, I'm sure. At CBS. Oh, C- CBS or yeah, CVS? Uh, well, I mean, there is CVS here. Let's go. Let's look at that. Yeah, thirty-two million for the CEO. Average worker pay twenty-seven thousand. Yeah. Basically, what we're getting at is there's a large wage discrepancy. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Indeed. On you know, actually, interesting. I would not have figured that the uh, median worker pay was this high for Starbucks, but it was thirty-two thousand. 
Yeah. That's so. That's impressive. I mean, it's still as absurd CEO to to median worker ratio here of six sixty nine, but still, that's yeah. pretty. That's not bad. Yeah. For slinging coffee. Well, the interesting thing I think about all those types of jobs is how much of that is part time, and are you really able to grow past the hours? Because I know. Mm. With certain jobs that they are kept at a part-time wage to make sure that yeah. they aren't you know, eligible for benefits or that they aren't eligible for you so, know, OT. Uh, notes here. This is So NPR got these numbers from Glassdoor, which if uh, our listeners don't know, Glassdoor is a uh, website that's kind of like a mix between uh, Yelp for businesses and like Monster.com. Where you can go on Glassdoor, look for jobs. You can look at review, like employee reviews of the companies. You can look at CEO out like employee outlooks on like CEO the future of the company, that sort of stuff. And you can see a listing of provided salaries. Yeah. Um, but the notes that they have on this table. Uh, Total compensation includes base pay, tips, commissions, bonuses, and all other forms of income reported. Salaries are for full and part-time employees and are in $2014. And this is median. So again, this is a different kind of average, but yeah. Well, anything else you want to talk about with uh, Stephanie and... Our good friend Talia, before we cause our listeners to go drink themselves into a blissful coma. Oh. Yeah, I mean, all right. So I think a lot of people who get into bar arguments about this article um, will throw around the phrase like millennial entitlement or something like that. It's And... I talk a lot of garbage about people our age, as I'm sure you know, and listeners, you've probably picked up by now. But I, and again, I don't know if the former Yelp employee is fiscally responsible or whatever else, but I don't really care. What I do care about is that the discussion should be taking into account, like, the important aspect of this, which is wage stagnation and living wage and all of that, because no matter how much you make, if you're going to be spending half to over half of your paycheck to rent, then you are not going to be able to, that's not a sign of a good, of a good economy. No, and you're just always going to be three steps behind for yeah. everything else. Heaven forbid, you know, you get into any sort of accident or oh, have any yeah. sort of medical issues. And again, or... it's like I'm I'm in a what should be is like a, considered a white collar professional job, but I'm still at that point where if I if I get like fucked up in an accident, then I'm in some serious danger for a while financially and well, obviously f- f- uh, physically because I would be in an accident. But it, you know, it, it's not entitlement to have this discussion and to ask that we have legislation in place to 
call for some sort of living wage, whether that's 15 an hour, which is still not high enough for a lot of places. But that's not entitlement. That is the, you know, coming off of a long history of labor activism in this country and across the, the West. And while I'm happy that people like Stephanie managed to get out of a bad situation, and I think she's uh, a television writer or something like that, you know, that's not the case for most people. Mm-hmm. And the kind of rhetoric that she uses <clears throat> is one step away from pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which has started being used seriously versus a task that's impossible because, uh, you know, bootstraps, they're going to snap. And uh, what I'm interested in here is that it's that sort of discussion and the tone that she uses is disregarding the fact that a lot of people hustle their entire lives, don't reach their goals for a, you know, whatever reason. But mm-hmm. that reason is not because people don't have work ethic. And when people like her try to make the case that it is because they don't have the right amount of work ethic, they are just destroying the lives of other people by allowing politicians like those on the right in the GOP candidate race to say that we do not need a higher minimum wage. Yeah. Well, my only counter to that, uh, if you'll allow me to devil's advocate this for a minute, is let's say that I'm a worker at a company and what I'm working on or what I'm doing, I can only contribute, reasonably speaking, $6 worth of input to the system. How is it that we can expect then a business to then pay me the additional $9 on top of that to only produce $6 worth of a good or service. So there are a couple of ways to think about that. In my opinion, and I am not an economist, so I'm you know an amateur much like you are for all of this, but you are probably going to be made like your your contribution is just a part of this massive pool of labor. I don't think that wages should be built on you know, this granular scale of what each person is contributing because the company does not take in profits like that. You have a lot of money coming in based on how you're selling your product or whatever else. And you're still being an important part of that process. So why shouldn't you have that compensation? And second, if you want to make that case, then, you know, you could also, I'm not saying that contract work is the devil. And if you are, like, let's take the, the game industry for an example, is you have people who come on board for, like, art assets. And my company, for example, we've got an artist who we're paying on contract to create assets for the game. Um, and we, you know, I, I think we pay him a fair amount for his work. Mm-hmm. I would hope so. Um, Kyle, if you're listening and you don't think that, then don't ever say anything again. I will find you. But... <laughs> you are replaceable. <laughs> you are replaceable! Capital is God! 
But, uh, no, I, I think, you know, you can make a distinction between what needs to be a role for someone in an organization that's like a permanent thing. Like if I, I don't, I can't come up with an example right off the top of my head, but versus something that needs to happen at a certain point in a process that could be done on contract. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that the contract world is a brutal, uh, Brutal, brutal ecosystem, as I've found out over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very different from a lot of uh, just kind of more traditional modes of employment. And I think we could spend another hour and a half talking about the world of working on contract and working on spec and negotiations and contracting companies and everything like that, but I think that we would both need to be a bit more prepared for that. Yeah, and it's the, po- the podcast is called Professional Idiots. That, that doesn't sound like something we'd do. <laughs> well, if you want to give me two weeks to research, I'll happily do it and shout. <laughs> well, maybe. We'll see. We'll see what guests we can bring on or people actually are continuing to listen and... Uh, We'll go from there. Okay. Well, again, now that we, I think we've totally depressed everybody and uh, everybody's hitting the bottle, so we no, should probably no. take... just wait until they hear our Holocaust episode. Oh, yep. That'll be a, a humdinger. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, you want to you wanna bring people's spirits back up into the, the out or the break music? Uh, uh,. This is where the break music is going. Oh, wow. Good that's, that's the break music. <laughs> Good stuff, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Boom. Hey, Flynn. Hey, what? You know what's cool? Uh, I don't know. What? Video games. Are we... 15 again? Yeah, we're 15 again, because video games are fucking great. Sweet. Talk yeah. Video games. Let's talk about video games. So, uh, oh god. <laughs> what do you, what do you like to play? Aaron, you wanna, Aaron, you wanna come this, over to my house and play Xbox? Aaron, this yeah. is why I normally intro segments. I don't know what you're talking about, this is great. <laughs> so, video games. Video games. <laughs> I used to be a, a bigger gamer, but after college, I, I really kind of dropped off and fell behind a generation. And I was always a, a console gamer. Um, I never really had PC games growing up. I mean, I played a couple, but I never had a, a gaming machine that I could, you know, really keep going. How about yeah, you? Well, so I, like you, I, I grew up with a Nintendo in the house at all times. Like, I think there are, sorry, there are pictures of me with, you know, with my mom and we're playing NES. I think it was like Legend of Zelda on the TV screen. Awesome. Yeah. So it's always been pretty big in my family. Like I remember some of my earliest memories are my brother staring the shit out of me while we were playing Super NES. And then, Getting the N64 was a lot was a big big deal. 
Oh, yeah. Of course it was. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like you, I think my console gaming days kind of dined out after undergrad. Yeah. um, Where I graduated and then was moving over to the UK for a year. So I didn't have easy access to a TV, especially in the UK where you had to have a TV license. And I figured, you know, paying for a TV and then paying, I don't remember how much the license was, was just going to be way too cost prohibitive. And at that point, I had already moved on to uh, PC gaming with World of Warcraft and Diablo 2 for a long time. I think I started playing Diablo 2 when I was in middle school. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because I think, like... Video games, especially the kind that like I grew up with and you grew up with, and not so much the more modern contemporary trend of mobile games. Like it requires you to be stationary somewhere for a while, whether that's for like a TV that you're not going to have to move around every month or so, so you can have your you know Xbox hooked up to it or a PC, like, my machine that I'm hooked up to right now is, like, this massive beast that weighs about 30 pounds or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's more difficult to bring that over somewhere else or play it on the bus. I mean, I, I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> if I could <laughs> see you set up on the bus in Portland. Yeah, exactly. Just have like a generator going and then hook up my monitor and everything. But I mean, uh, yeah, it, it requires a, a bit more of a sedentary lifestyle than mo- mobile stuff. Yeah. Well, and for me, it, it's just a time commitment that I, I I admit that I am a mobile phone gamer now. Of Ugh, it's casual. It's, I know, I know. <laughs> it, well, you know, we it's talked about I this. can pick up for five minutes yeah. and play while I'm waiting on hold, or if yeah. you know well, my meeting's we, running late. Yeah, we talked about this last week, I think. To or last episode. Hello, Aaron. Nope, there we go. Okay, sorry. Everything's exploding. Have fun, Brad. (laughs) Uh, I expect Brad to leave that in. But anyway, uh, we talked about this last episode with... (laughs) Um, (laughs) Alright, sorry, Brad. We talked about this last episode with TV, and that being a time commitment that, like, I'm not necessarily willing to put in the requisite effort... But I am willing to put in the effort for games, and I think that's just kind of a function of what I grew up with in my family and with my friends, mm-hmm. is we all had like Warcraft 3 going at a fairly regular schedule, and Diablo 2 at a fairly regular schedule, whereas you know, TV was just kind of background noise. Yeah. We all, I was, thankfully, my friends were all into the same console games. We all had an Xbox. That's where we fell on the, the side of the equation. Mm. Uh, we played a lot of Gears of War, a lot of, like, the, the Call of Duty-type games where, again, we didn't have to do a whole lot as far as setup. We could just can all connect together and play. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
yeah, I, I was never into WoW. I was never into really any of the computer gaming. Yeah. So I consider myself lucky that I haven't had to invest that kind of time and income into it. Well, I mean, how much do you pay for cable? I don't want to say that out loud. <laughs> See, exactly. It's like that's that's where I'm at with TV is I think up here you're looking at $100 a month for uh, yeah. cable. And that's – Well, we have a package. A We've got the, the triple play. Yeah, through, yeah. Through our great I, overlords Comcast. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not well, – Because yeah. Catherine works from home, so she needs oh, the internet okay. and the phone. So it's not like we can yeah. get rid of those. Yeah. No, I mean I, I – I work from home a couple times a week, and I just need internet because everything that I do is kind of routed through the internal network on Skype. Mm-hmm. So. That's good. Yeah, at least I don't have to deal with Comcast's latest and best triple play feature double down thing. You know, it... I hate to say this, but I mean it is good service. Their customer service blows, but I mean yeah. we've not had we've had one or two issues in the three years that we've been living here, and they've been able to take care of it fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean I've got CenturyLink, which is more of a I think a Northwestern mm-hmm. thing, and they're I've got no complaints about them. I mean the service I've got now is kind of slow, but that's just a function of my building being older. Yeah, and I don't think the landlords are going to invest in. Uh, they're not going to, like, run fiber lines? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. But, I and now I just, with that, I can't even justify upgrading then an Xbox One or a PS4. Like, I, I can't spend the $500 to get a whole new setup. Yeah, and, I mean, the, the case that I would, if I felt the need to try and press you to do that, I think the case I would have is the Blu-ray, but... At that point, a PS3 has that, and you don't need to spend a lot of money to get a PS3, and I'm sure you've got a Blu-ray player or something. I don't. What? What? Nope. You you just stream, don't you? Uh, Pretty much, yeah. Oh, God, no. We have Netflix. Well, I have Netflix, too, but they're... Oh. I've got to go buy Blu-rays, or I've got to go, like, rent them at the library like a peasant. What? Yeah. It's free. (laughs) You just go to the thing, and you say, here's my card, and they're like, I bring it back sometime. <laughs> we may or may not charge you a fee. Yeah, yeah. and if we do, it's going to be like 10 cents. No, uh, we we just stream everything. With our cable package and having Netflix, uh, why go through the effort of getting a Blu-ray? Because I, <laughs> I, I, I can't even say it. I don't... I, all right. And this is a first for our professional idiots. Aaron <laughs> is dead silent. Yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of... I don't... I don't know. Okay. <laughs> all, I, all I'm thinking of right now is my collector's edition of Lawrence of Arabia that came in a few weeks ago that's got, like, just gorgeous 4K resolution and, like, 16 hours of documentary <laughs> features about the filming of the thing. <laughs> And then historical, it's, you don't get that from a streaming service. Uh, But I'm okay with that. Okay. That's, well, I'm glad that you're okay with that. I'm just going to cry. 
Yeah. Uh, the only thing I will say, though, about gaming on my phone that irritates me to no end is why and it's why I end up giving up on games is all of the microtransactions that they try to play now. And it makes me so sad because I see how it just prints money for gaming companies. But it's yeah. so frustrating. Well, again, there's a reason to uh, hop on the PC Master Race train because <laughs> there's a lot less of that. But, I mean, you run into that a bit here and there. Like, I think uh, the, the best example I have off the top of my head is Team Fortress 2. I don't know if you ever played that. Ooh, yes, I did. Okay. So, <laughs> it's Hat Simulator. Oh. <laughs> which, I don't know. Did, were you playing when it went free-to-play? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's, you know, the microtransactions there are all cosmetic and they're all basically just like hats. Yeah. And like just silliness. Just silliness. But I mean you you run into that with the free to play model of games, but I think that's much less prevalent on PC and console than it is mobile. So, yeah. I like I I totally agree with you that I think it's it's garbage. And uh, well, I'd much rather it, just pay the $60 and not have to worry about spending $0.99 cents to speed up a thing. You know, it's not even that. Like, my thing is that the game should still be playable while it is free. Like, you shouldn't, yeah. like I shouldn't feel compelled that I have to spend money in order to beat the game. Yeah. And that's inevitably the point that I get to with these games is, like, right now I'm playing UFC. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like it's just the day it's kind of getting there, but I don't know like if I'm just I'm gonna have to spend money if I want to actually succeed in the game. Like I'm just going to stall out, or it's going to take me nine million years to actually get over the hump of the difficulty curve. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not gonna say that there is nothing like that on on a PC because I'm playing XCOM right now. Which is the most brutal game of all time. Oh. And yeah, well, I mean it's a lot of fun. I love the game a lot, but uh basically the way the the game is like this tactical strategy game where you control like this unit of troops and you're trying to push back this alien invasion. And uh it's all based on kind of percentage to hit sort of things. Got it. And uh yeah, it's uh, there's a huge difficulty curve because one mistake means your entire squad gets killed. Yeah. So, I think the difference though is that difficulty curve is not based on microtransactions. Yeah, and you, just you have can't to pay get money better at to, the game. Yeah, exactly. Which, is, you know, there's a fun aspect to that. It's like when we tried to play Civ Five. When uh, I came up to Chicago a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I, th- we're, I think we were sharing the same civilization. I think we were, and that was <laughs> that was a whole new level of artificial difficulty that we introduced to the game. Artificial intelligence. <laughs> With our powers combined, we we're <laughs> kind of doing all right, maybe. <laughs> How many degrees does it take to beat Civ Five? (laughs) 
We had three, and we still didn't do very well. <laughs> well, again, in our defense, we were both trying to control the same civilization, which is not smart. It's not ideal. No, we are. Uh, turns out we are not linked like a hive mind. We're pretty close. We're eh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, just not enough. We're not. Throw a couple beers, and you're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had fun. Oh, it was a lot of fun. All right. Well, I, I feel like that's a, a pretty good place to end the episode. We'll keep this one a little close and tight here. We'll, we'll yeah. drag on for hours on end. Yeah, we'll see how much of uh, how much of it makes it into production. Yeah. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? We'll find yeah. out. Yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> good luck, Brad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, Brad, this is what happens when you take a week off. Well, yeah, and, and you like, move, to, move another to another continent. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, figure get, out what day of the week it is and get back to us and come come back, Brad. Please, we need you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, if you have a, a topic you'd like to hear us argue in circles about or you want to be a guest on the show, you can email us at twoprofessionalidiots at gmail.com or uh, check out our blog at professionalidiotsblog.wordpress.com. Uh, Aaron, thanks for uh, holding down the fort with me this week. It was terrifying. It was, but we made it. We're, we're here at the end. I feel like I've grown as a human being because of this one. We have. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Professional Idiots. Professional Idiots.